This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Norman Lau, and thank you for joining us here in the Decon Chamber for our very first two-part character study on none other than the very first captain of the Enterprise, Jonathan Archer. Now, this two-part special is a little different than previous episodes about Archer because I really wanted to deconstruct him from his earlier days as a Kind of like a wide-eyed, optimistic, fledgling captain in the beginnings of his exploratory venture into space. And then kind of see what happens to him as space kind of starts to weigh in on him and the decisions of being a captain weigh in on him. And how he starts to struggle a little bit with moral choices and his duty to Starfleet. And then he sees how the universe is not what he expected it to be. So he starts having a little bit more confrontation with, again, his duty and his obligation to Starfleet versus his moral obligation to himself versus his duty to the crew. So there's a lot of meat in there to uh, get into. So Archer's overall character growth, in my opinion, across four seasons of Enterprise, I feel is one of the best developments in Star Trek. And that's my opinion. I know a lot of people have have uh, their opinion on that. Uh, but it certainly is for Enterprise, and I think that Scott Bakula did a really great job in portraying all the different facets of Captain Archer and all his different personality quirks and just the different you know, layers of the onion that you can peel back on, on the Captain. But over the four years, what I think he really kept involved in his character is the integrity of Archer and the core of what made him special, and, and that's just his overall humanity. He's just still a human being trying to do the best that he can. Uh, in our last episode, A Guide to Baby Boomers, we actually did a, a review of a couple of specific episodes that illustrated Archer from the beginning, especially in Silent Enemy. And I think we had some really good material there to build on, which was kind of the impetus of, of what was uh, how we crafted this episode. So I know that's a lot to take in, so um, bear with me here because we have our fantastic guests back to help kind of deconstruct Archer and get back into uh, the decon chamber to take a look at some really specific episodes. And we have back in the decon chamber, Will Nguyen, our content developer for Trek FM. Will, how you doing? Good. It seems like I'm always in this chamber. I'm never going to leave. Yeah, we're going to have to talk to uh, Flox about that because, you know, maybe maybe we all might have to spend a night in sickbay. I don't know. There's only so much lotion I can put on myself. Uh, well, we have five different types. I think one of them is going to eventually work. And maybe, maybe 
we might have to think about getting to uh, getting to the bridge and maybe situating ourselves around the uh, situation table. So that might be an interesting thing for us. Um, and also, back in the decon chamber, we have a very special guest, Star Trek Horizon, uh, the director, executive producer, and writer, Tommy Kraft. Tommy, how you doing? I'm lovely, thank you. And I just would like to put my vote in for the briefing room. I dig that. We could do the. Well, briefing you said room. situation room, you know, the one in the because they actually do have you know their their dedicated briefing room as well, and at least in there you get actual chairs. So, or perhaps um, maybe a stint in the war room. Well, that's know, since true. Since we are kind of coming into the the darker episodes of Archer and possibly leading into season three with the Zindi arc, so the war room did take some precedence in the set. There are no there, chairs so, in the war room. Uh, who knows? And I like to, I like to take a load off. And, uh, you know, Captain Archer, I'm sorry, but I just got to sit down. So briefing room it is. Sounds good to me. Good thing you're not a wharf. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I feel so bad for that poor guy. (laughs) He has Klingon legs of steel. So, Tommy, tell us, um, how's Horizon doing? And um, can you give us an update on that? It's doing well, thanks. Uh, We just released our ninth video blog as well as another VFX tutorial. Basically, in a new video blog, I just talk about why the movie isn't out yet because originally I wanted to have it out by December and it was overly ambitious and the main thing is post-production is taking a really long time as it always does and especially because it's such a small production and so I go over that in a new video blog and I show a couple new shots and uh, play an excerpt from the soundtrack that I've been working on and the VFX tutorial is an nearly hour-long continuation of Another tutorial I did where I just go in-depth on the process of how we achieve our visual effects in the movie. So there's that new content available for anybody who's interested on the Horizon website or Facebook page or YouTube channel. Stay tuned for more because we have more coming out soon. That's awesome. Thanks, Tommy. And uh, if anyone hasn't had a chance to take a look at the Horizon Project, please do so because there's a lot of fantastic stuff going on over there. And thanks for breaking the ice because I'm using that as a completely forced segue into the first episode that Could we're going to talk about. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, this is this is on the fly. You know, very so, good improv artist. So, uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, in the discussion outline for today, we're going to talk about four specific episodes: one from season one and the rest from season two, and four different facets of Archer within this time frame. Now, I know it's a little unfair sometimes to try and encapsulate what we're trying to do here in this deconstruction because there are so many great episodes and so many great instances of of trying to explain how we feel about Archer. But in our deliberations, we felt that these four episodes are a really good starting point and probably even a little bit more of an advanced study on Archer for maybe some of the newer viewers and that's kind of like where we still like being we still like being in the pocket of trying to explain and educate newer viewers to enterprise because we all know from our experiences will Tommy and I we all know the, uh, the the series pretty well but in order to try and understand Archer and trying to to uh, convey the kind of captain that he is to newer viewers we felt that these were the really good episodes to get into so in season one, Breaking the Ice is an episode where it kind of puts Archer on the defensive a lot, and it shows how he still has a little bit of distrust with the Vulcan High Command, 
and how he feels that they're really looking over his shoulder over every detail of his command and it doesn't allow him to grow it doesn't allow them to see what he's capable of and it just causes far too much tension as he's trying to grow and evolve into a captain and I know Will really enjoys this episode so Will Describe to us why you chose this episode and why you think it's a really good uh, episode to illustrate an earlier version of Archer's development. I think, you know, I think the title says it all. I think Breaking the Ice literally is clearly a reference to what they do on the comet when they land on it, but it's also very much breaking the ice between Archer and his first officer, T'Pol, breaking the ice between human's perspective on what the Vulcans are doing and breaking the ice uh, going in the opposite direction as well, helping the Vulcans to, to see where the humans are coming as well. So I think it's really important because you set up a dynamic where both sides are learning to trust each other. Both sides are still really feeling each other out. Um, and it was in the end, it forced a situation where Archer had to swallow his pride not make it about himself, not make it about his own personal biases, no matter how rightly he may have felt that he was wronged or that the Vulcans were being very arrogant towards him. I think bottom line, he's getting to a point where he realizes all of that has to be something that he can just roll off his shoulder in order to get the mission accomplished, that it can't be personal. He is responsible for the mission. He's responsible for the crew. And he has to, A, trust his first officer, and B, think beyond his own pride and his own personal perspective. So I think that's, I think it's an episode that just really encapsulates all those elements very nicely. And I think I was just watching it with um, my fiance actually, and she's watching enterprise for the first time for the most part. And she watched that first scene where um, not the first scene, but relatively early in the episode where they're talking um, to that class in Ireland, the fourth grade class. And it's just another example of, this is something that you've never seen in Star Trek before. He is literally uh, a hero. The entire crew is a hero to everyone on Earth, but especially Archer. And I think he has this he has his weight on his shoulders of these expectations. And sometimes in certain situations, he takes it along too personally. I think he really has to understand that it's just, just not about him and his own personal ego and whatever hero worship he may feel that other you know people on earth may ascribe to him I, obviously he has to navigate this role of of being the first as pioneer but at the same time still be a diplomat and still be someone that's flexible enough to deal with situations you know tommy i know that you're a really big student on the vulcan culture especially in the enterprise era and one of the things that struck me funny about this particular episode was how incredibly intolerant, I guess, that Archer was uh, in, in, in respect to Vanek's attitude of him at the dinner table. I mean, Archer was really kind of put off sorts, and where Vanek is really just being a Vulcan, Archer found that to be incredibly testing and almost insulting to him in a way because Vanek was so cold and so off-putting. Do you think that I mean, do you think that Archer, Archer should have known about, you know, how his relationship with Captain Vanek would have gone down at dinner. But do you think that Vanek was really just kind of pushing his buttons at the time? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think Vanek was annoying even for a Vulcan. Because 
Vulcans aren't good with people, with humans anyway. They aren't good with emotions, but they can still try to uh, accommodate for the people that they're with. And sometimes they do that better than others. And also Archer was pissed because Vanek had been following them. And uh, no, I, 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 I see where Archer's coming from. I actually, I do. Because I think Vanek was a little bit more off-putting than a normal Vulcan would, even more than Saval, honestly. I mean, it almost seems in a way that Vanek is using that type of dinner situation to test Archer, to kind of see like, okay... What kind of captain are you now? What have you learned? You have had a Vulcan on board your ship for some time now. Have you gotten past your personal prejudices against us and have possibly matured into a captain that we think you can be or a captain that is still governed by a lot of his humanity? And I say humanity in in respect to how Vanek is, is observing Archer because... He thinks that Archer's humanity is not an asset. It's a, you know, it's a, more of a, a weakness. And we see that a little bit with the way that Archer approaches the issue of the encrypted message that was sent from Vanek ship to DePaul. Trip stumbled upon that. Well, Hoshi stumbled upon that. And then she needed kind of like the guidance and the chain of command to see what was happening. And instead of letting it lie and, and, and letting it be what it may, you know, what it was or may have been something just was completely benign. I mean, he just, he allowed to Paul's privacy to be violated. And I think that, uh, I think that the Vulcan prejudice in him kind of steered him that direction. I mean, Will, did you, did you see it that way? I I think I definitely saw uh, echoes and shades of that. I think this episode really just strikes me as just a really great case study, a really great example of, just miscommunication and projection on every level. Obviously, it started when the ship, uh, the Vulcan ship, came out of nowhere when they just discovered the comet. So obviously that raises Archer's hackles in terms of the the perception of them eavesdropping. It doesn't help things that Vanek just gives him the least possible amount of information, doesn't give him anything to work with. It doesn't help things that, to Paul herself, keeps things very close to her chest right so in regards to her personal message about her upcoming arranged marriage he's going to keep it close to her chest but that's going to be misinterpreted by archer and tucker and the rest of the crew as you know they're hiding something this communique that's going in between them so it's one of those situations where you totally see it from every perspective vanek is a jerk but archer isn't helping things and it all reinforces itself and obviously Hindsight is twenty twenty. I think a lot of this stuff could have been de-escalated if the relationship between Archer and T'Pol had been stronger from the get-go. If Archer had been able to go to T'Pol or vice versa, if T'Pol had been able to go to Archer and tell him or tell each other right from the get-go that this message was not a secret message from the Vulcan government. This was just a relaying a personal correspondence about an arranged marriage personal details obviously this would have been avoided i think everything was building towards this confrontation because it was built off of just layers and layers and layers of misperception projection resentment and you know they broke the ice but they broke the ice in uh probably the least diplomatic way but 
at the end of the day, the ice got broken. I think everyone understood where everyone was coming from and the relationship, particularly between Archer and T'Pol, could build. But obviously, uh, sometimes the only way is the hardest way. I think something can be said, too. I mean, yeah, Archer was just, you know, he was holding his human prejudices, but Vanek was holding, he was prejudiced, too. He went on, yeah, yeah he went on there assuming that Archer was just going to be some prideful, boastful human and wouldn't have learned or changed at all. And Archer was assuming that uh, Vanek was just going to be this stuck-up old Vulcan. And in a sense, they were both right about each other. But Archer was able to overcome that because at the end of the day, he has enough self-awareness and enough experience to realize where he's wrong and to put the needs of his crew first. And I think T'Pol is a big part of helping him make that choice. You know, I always found the uh, the relationship between Archer and T'Pol in the first season really interesting because there were moments where he just is very dismissive of her, saying, you know, you're here by just the sheer grace of the Starfleet and Vulcan High Command relationship. But I think in an episode like this, you see where, A, T'Pol has, I mean, she still has her own personal matters to attend to, which unfortunately become completely misinterpreted, which leads to or furthers trips and archers prejudiced and paranoia against the Vulcans and B uh, her basically just be, uh, her trying to serve two different masters at the same time, because she does have a high ranking Vulcan official in her midst. She needs to be able to take care of the relationship between Archer and Vanek. And it's one of those interesting aspects of her character where she's stuck in two different situations. She handles it a little bit more gracefully than Archer does, but I agree with both of you guys in the end. This is a great example of Archer swallowing his pride and probably using this to inform himself for better decision making later on. And uh, when we when we crafted the episode of this title as Archer Goeth Before a Fall, uh, pride is first. Pride is probably the one thing that we see in the first season that uh, he that Archer uh, focuses on in some of the episodes saying that especially in Silent Enemy when he said we came out here because I was prideful we were we came out here too early and we weren't prepared and in Breaking the Ice in order to get uh, Malcolm and uh, Travis out of that situation he needed the Vulcans technology something that they didn't have on the ship and something that they weren't prepared for this this uh the you know disaster on the comet to, in order to save his crewmen so that's one of those things where you know Archer's like you know what okay I don't like our relationship but I need your help and this I guess starts forging his ability to be a better diplomat but that's just an issue of pride another episode that shows probably an even stronger aspect of Archer's character as an as a as a green and a fledgling captain that's a little bit harder for him to probably overcome is and I say humanity here because it's his filter of humanity that he projects on other races that also causes him to be a little bit on the arrogant side because in the episode A Night in Sickbay in season 2 one of the biggest issues for Archer here is that he doesn't respect the culture and the protocol of a race that he's trying to establish relationships with in order to get a warp plasma injector. This is a huge thing that they need for the ship, but 
he can't seem to get past that what he believes is right and what they told him to do in his situ in his mind just doesn't matter because I'm right. I'm Archer. I'm the captain. I'm Starfleet. I don't understand why I have to kowtow and bow and scrape to this race just because they're making me do so in his opinion. They're just kind of putting him through hoops. So how did you guys feel when you watched this episode? And do you really think that the writers maybe tuned him up a little too high on the side of arrogance and maybe they're trying to prove a point where if he can overcome this, he can become a better captain and a better diplomat later on. I think one thing that makes a difference is just how absolutely absurd the aliens are in their demands. And I think that plays a big part into why he is the way he is because he sees it as their negligence endangered Porthos, which this my only actually real gripe with the episode is why he would have taken Porthos down to the planet. I always thought that was a little odd. But he needs um, fresh air. Yeah, he does. But I mean, that's just such a like, why do you take your dog on a diplomatic meeting with the aliens? That just seems weird to me. But that aside, like it, he just views it as, well, they carelessly put his life in danger. So why should I care about anything that they want? Right. It's it's surprisingly petty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which which goes in with with the episode, too, because it's a funny episode. It is it is one of the episodes that's also meant for comedic relief. And I think they they tie those things together very well in that episode. Yeah, I think, though, when you when you brought up the point, like, you know, what was the point of Porthos? I think that was the whole point behind, you know, the way that Archer felt about how the entire, you know, series of events went down. He's like, you know what? They had the genetic makeup of Porthos. They knew what a dog is all about. You know, it's like and and, you know, he says like and Porthos is, you know, he's he has his right to fresh air and, and to run around. But Archer is thinking about it in terms of of human rights. Right. And I think when I there was somebody I can't remember who, forgive me, but in the Babel conference, they brought up and it may have been um, may have been Floyd. You know, he he brought up the the Chekhov scene in Star Trek six, the undiscovered country. Or what was that you? Uh, inalienable human in, rights. Inalienable human rights. That was human me. rights. Yeah. The very phrase is racist. It's so like, good. It's it's such a good line because it's it, it obviously it's not coming from that perspective, but it totally is. Exactly. And that's what he I think that's what he brought to bear on this situation is like, you know what? These are, you know, I'm, I'm putting the human rights above the rights of this race and above the needs and the safety of the crew, which is the scene where he and T'Pol were basically they were trying to out sprint each other on treadmills. And she became increasingly frustrated over the course of that scene because she's basically saying, this isn't how a captain should make his decisions. You're putting the rights of your pet. Okay, so we understand that. We put the rights of your pet above the rights of the crew, the safety of the crew, what you need, and the diplomatic relations that you're probably not going to achieve here for the better interests of Starfleet so take a look at the chain that you've set up for yourself. I think Porthos is a bit of a scape dog here too. Like it, it's a good excuse for him to 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 act this way because he doesn't like these people. You know, that's that's actually a very good point. He's he's it's a very it, it's very much a deflection, right? He's just trying to like from the very get go from the from the moment the episode opens there in the decon chamber, right? And he is already heated. He's already saying, "How long do we have to wait?" in orbit six days right and right. then hoshi's like no five days right 
he's so we never actually even saw the initial insult right when they were eating in front of them but already he's already on a level in which he's not rational right so everything else beyond the initial opening is just adding to that layer so by the time it gets to porthos and he's in danger it just literally sends him over the edge and i think that's important because from the get-go he is already veering off towards you can't reason with him you can't rationalize how you're being really disproportionate in your anger towards them he was definitely the uh, the beagle that broke the cretaceans back <laughs> if you true. will it's true yeah now, I was going to say he he acts towards flocks the same way, in in the human the idea of trying to apply his own human ideas and rights to aliens. And flocks talks about the lemur that they they eat, and Archer is very kind of offended by this. Mm-hmm. And he what is it? Flocks says you about you accuse my entire species of being was it insensitive something like that. Um, and so it's it's very much this thing of Archer realizing that every that not every alien culture is going to be like us. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's why I like this episode because yes, it has it has great comedic moments and it has a really nice B story with with what's going on in sick bay and then Doctor Flox's kind of like a psycho analysis of Archer and his friction with DePaul. But what we're really getting down to in this episode is, again, this inalienable human right that that Archer kind of forces on everybody. And it really goes against almost every single tenant that Starfleet has at that time. Because remember, in, in Broken Bow, he said that he memorized the entirety of Zephram Cochran's speech. And, you know, and in that speech is, you know, I want to I want this engine to be able to you know, let the human race go out and explore strange new worlds and to seek out new civilizations. And that's a very optimistic sentiment for humanity to go out there and become tolerant of all of these different, so all these different races and species so that we can become this one huge universal organization that will eventually become the Federation of Planets. But this one, he's just, he just becomes petty. And he won't give it up just because... He doesn't. He can't see past himself and his own self interests. It reminds me of like an '80s movie where like two neighbors are feuding. Remember that Simpsons episode where, <laughs> where Homer's feuding with like George H. W. Bush, and it's just very petty. You know, it's it's that same type of. At the end of the day, it's you know, it's less about the plasma injectors. It's less about Porthos, but it's also it's just it's more about proving the point of who's right, right? right. So. It's good. I think it's jarring for the for the audience to see Archer being so petty and at the same time having these elements of, of humor, which could sometimes be disconcerting to someone watching Enterprise, where, where that type of humor or this type of petty emotion isn't um, usually there. So I think that could be off-putting to some fans, which is why I think the reputation of this episode can be somewhat polarizing. But if you look at it from the, the perspective that we're looking at it in terms of evolving the character, it makes a lot of sense. And you would expect the first captain to kind of to go through these emotions because he's human just like any of us, right? So, I think this is Archer acting like Janeway until he realizes that's stupid. <laughs> because, no, I mean, she is very prideful like this too, Captain Janeway was. Like, she would, she would get a decision set in her mind and then, you know, nothing could change her mind no matter what. That's true. And That's true. And, the difference is Archer actually would change his mind if he if he thought he needed to. And that 
the the interesting there's an interesting scene where Archer goes to Trip. This is earlier on in the episode, and he explains the situation. Trip asks him if he's offended the Cretaceans in any further way. And, you know, did you eat any more cabbage or you know anything like that? But then then Trip goes, well, you know, work this out. You are a trained diplomat, aren't you? And I found that line of dialogue really interesting because I never really felt that that Archer had you know, the, the course, the, the, the certificate, the diploma, if you will, of interstellar diplomacy as part of his curriculum as, as, a, as a Starfleet captain. I'm sure that there are some courses or some measures or some experiences that he had to take in order to go out there and to further and foster along peaceful relationships with different species and, and uh, organizations, but never really felt quite that he was, you know, a fully qualified diplomat, which I always felt that would have been an interesting character to have on the bridge of the Enterprise, that, you know, the, the, the fully authorized diplomat of Starfleet that can sometimes upset the apple cart and get into Archer's face about diplomatic situations like this because he has the authority to do so. Um, but that's just a different part of Archer's character that I never felt comfortable with with that line is I never felt that he was a true diplomat for Starfleet, at least not at this time. Yeah, he hadn't earned it yet. But right. when you think about it, if Enterprise had continued, that would have been a perfect role for Hoshi to evolve into, like a chief diplomatic officer, a chief first contact officer, because she's so versed in alien languages and cultures. It would make a lot of sense that if there ever was going to be that type of role for an officer that she would fill that pretty pretty perfectly. Well, I mean, communication is, I thought, was is paramount, you know, to first contact relations. And I, it would have been interesting to see where Hoshi was in this situation when they first met the Cretaceans, because maybe in some way, maybe she misinterpreted something, and then, you know, it would have been interesting to see Archer kind of, like, get into her face a little bit, saying, like, you know, why didn't you tell me about this? You know, I mean, you're the one, you're the one who's supposed to be able to talk to these people, you know, did we mess up something? Was something wrong with your translation? I mean, come on, it can't just be me. So, and then he would have pretty much gotten into the face and dressed down, I think, every member of his crew except for, uh, except for maybe Travis. You know, so, uh, so it was an int- I thought this, I really liked this episode. And again, I, I agree that if, if fans watch this particular episode, they will see Archer in a really poor light because it's not the captain that people are used to seeing in any series. I mean, you know, Kirk was already polished and experienced. Picard is, you know, he's the diplomat of, of the captains. Cisco is a man of action, but he also has a lot of his, his decision making is very informed by the Bajoran government and his role as the, as the uh, emissary, you know, and then Janeway, even though that she gets a little bullheaded sometimes, she still has a very experienced crew that can talk her off the ledge. But when Archer went off, he went off. And it took a lot to have him. It took basically almost the near death of his best friend, his, his pet beagle, to kind of make him make him force himself to take a look at the situation and see how absolutely asinine he was being. I think it should just be fair to say, though, that Janeway, Picard, Cisco, and Kirk all had the benefit of reading Captain Archer and others. Whereas Captain Archer, I mean, like, he was the first one out there. And so he was pretty much just making it up as he went along. And and uh, I think that's sometimes why you see, like, Picard is much more polished because, you know, and, and the fact, too, that we came into these guys, these captains' careers much later than Captain Archer. I mean, this is Captain Archer's first time in deep space. And 
It oh, shows. totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's that. Yeah, I think that's without question. I think uh, in the in our previous episode, we discussed that that there was no sounding board for Archer. You know, he had no counsel to be able to talk to and be able just to basically unwind to or open up to or or even have you know cathartic moments with you know or to have his confession. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Kirk had bones. You know, Picard had Riker and Guinan. You know, Cisco had he had Dax. You know, I mean, yeah, what a great confessor and advisor. You know, and Janeway had. You know Tuvok or even um, Neelix, you know. Right. But Archer really didn't have anyone to turn to because no one had the same experience to be able to advise him anyway. Maybe with the exception of T'Pol and maybe Saval when he started to warm up to him. But and, and by maybe Fox a bit too. Well, true. And, and now this is interesting because his we're we're kind of like circling around his more experienced advisors as being, you know, the alien advisors, right? You know where he is. You know they have the experience, and I think it's hard for him to, to again swallow his pride here and 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 ask for uh, the advice that he needs in order to become this you know the captain that we want him to be. But one of the things um, that I really thought was interesting about Archer, and because he is a little bit stubborn this way, is is he has a really strong sense of honor and a really strong sense of duty and a really strong sense of what he believes is right and wrong. The episode uh, in season two, Judgment. Uh, it's it's a lesser talked about episode because it's it has to deal with his defense of uh, a couple of, of this refugee ship and and the Klingon Empire and it's just something that was one of those episodes that's really highly talked about. But in, in in reviewing it and watching it, Archer in this episode is about doing the right thing and sticking to his guns, even in the face of probably their greatest enemy at the time, and this is the Klingon Empire. And the rise of Captain Duras, well, actually the demotion of Captain Duras, the rise of Duras's wrath against Archer and against the Enterprise mission. So when you guys were watching this episode, what did you think about how Archer came to, came to uh, come to the aid of these refugees and just basically, you know what, this is the right thing to do. I know that I'm stepping on the toes of diplomatic relations with the Klingon Empire, which were dubious at best, but I have to make sure that these people are taken care of because they are really... They were left behind by the Klingon Empire as a colony. They were beaten, tortured, left to starve. And it's just not right. And I'm going to put my foot down and say, this isn't right. This is how I'm going to deal with it. And Starfleet's going to have to back me up. Damn it, man. He tried to save him. That's right. <laughs> That's true. I think, I think I just want to get out of the way. I love this episode the, the more and more I watch it. I think I've seen it three times recently, I think, because uh, I'm going through Enterprise and then I've watched it a second time because I liked it so much, and I watched it again um, for this for this show. And I think, as if you're a longtime Star Trek viewer, if you're a longtime Star Trek fan, you're going to get a lot from this episode because it almost lampshades a lot of what fans have critiqued Klingon culture to be, especially in the TNG era. In terms of, are they all warriors? Are they all this one mono class of 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 a warrior pride, a warrior mentality. And I think in a lot of ways, just this this one episode does such an excellent job of adding the nuance um, to the Klingons in a way that is faithful to the portrayal that Enterprise is trying to go for of Archer, but at the same time still rewarding longtime fans in terms of watching it. And I think Archer very much is the fulcrum in terms of of exposing that, right? He makes i when i was watching this episode i was really trying to see an uh, the point in which 
he makes an impulsive decision, right? In previous episodes, you know, he's being impulsive or he's being prideful or he's not thinking things through. But as I was watching this episode, I was really looking for, for that one moment where he was doing something that was impulsive. And at least from my watching, my perspective, I didn't find it immediately. You know, according to the retelling of Archer, which we assume to be correct, they found the ship, the ship, the life support was failing. They couldn't board the ship. They couldn't repair the life support of the ship uh, on board the ship. They had to bring them aboard. They were so weak that they couldn't fend for themselves. It was almost he was put into this almost impossible situation where he almost had to extend his help. He had to extend um, his hospitality and care for them. And, you know, I was trying to think of a that, that opportunity where I could critique Archer and saying, you know, he should have done this instead. And when I finished this episode, I really couldn't find that one that one element. I think the only thing I could, you know, critique him is that he just didn't understand how the Klingons thought. He just didn't understand how his actions would, would be portrayed. And I think there was still kind of that prideful arrogance of saying, you know what, I showed you why I did this, therefore that should be good enough. But I think in a lot of ways, this was really a, a clash of, of cultures, a clash of ideologies where this was the first time that Archer and I think humanity in general really understood that the Klingons take these matters very seriously and that no matter what your intentions are, if they perceive your actions to have negative consequences, you need to face those negative consequences. And I think it was a lesson that was hard learned, obviously, but I don't think there was a situation in which Archer could have done anything differently. I don't think I would have done anything differently in terms of, uh, of what Archer did. So I think that's the toughest thing is that you could do everything right and make no mistake and still be put in almost Kobayashi Maru type situation. I agree. I think Archer did everything right here in this episode shows that he's willing to put his life on the line in order to do what's right. He knew the right thing to do was to help these people this is not a human right, but just a right to life. It's He knew that they had their rights and that they needed help, and, and he gave it to them. And I think he couldn't have done anything differently, and he was willing to go to Repente. And he did go to Repente for that. I, I think at this point he's really starting to uh, learn from his experiences and come to terms with everything. And after experiences like the episodes we just talked about and things like the communicator where he very much was going to have to pay for the, with his life, for the missteps of his crew and losing that communicator. Um, I think he, this, this shows a very mature side of Captain Archer. I think this is where he just kind of steps up, assesses the situation, takes a look at all the, basically he swats the situation. He looks at the, you know the uh, the threat value of it. He weighs out the opportunity, the threat, uh, the the possible win condition, the possible loss condition. And for him, in order for him to do his job and to hold himself to the ideal of being a Starfleet captain, one of those things, in my opinion, that probably fuels him more than anything else is his morality and what he believes is right and wrong. And again, that's a very humanistic trait, but. He's out there to explore strange new worlds and to seek out new life, but he's also there to protect it if they need his help because this is who he is. He is, you know, he is um, an officer that believes that, you know, if if they're weak, 
I need to help bolster them. If they need my help, I need to give them as much as I can because they may be an asset to us. They may be friends later on. They may be something that's special to the Federation. They may be something special in terms of our overall growth as a species, humanity's growth as a species, because I think from his mistakes with the Cretaceans, in, a, in contrast to that, I think he saw that these people had no way out. They had no options. And I don't think that he was afraid of stepping on any type of, uh, any, any of the toes here when it comes to fostering any diplomatic relations because I don't even think he was thinking about that at the time. He saw people that were in trouble or species that was in trouble. And he knew when he crossed the line against the Klingon Empire, there were going to be repercussions. But the, you know, the, the tenet of a Starfleet captain is to make sure that he upholds what he believes is order and justice and a certain sense of, of what Starfleet is about and when he's exacting those, those laws and justices you know, in the situation. So it's, it's also a great episode for you know, fans of Star Trek because we're dealing with the planet Narendra 3. And one of my all-time favorite episodes, I'm just sidetracking a little here, one of my all-time favorite episodes in Star Trek of any series is Yesterday's Enterprise. And Narendra 3 is where the famous battle took place where the Enterprise C laid down its life, uh, the life of its captain and the life of its crew in order to foster greater Klingon relationships that uh, allowed us to have the alliance that we had later on in The Next Generation in Deep Space Nine. So it's interesting that they chose Narendra 3 for the setting of this episode because historically it's actually what Archer did here that started putting Narendra 3 on the map between Starfleet and the Klingon Empire. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I think this episode is chock full of those types of references that a lot of older fans are really going to appreciate. Uh, I also find it interesting that of all episodes, you actually don't see the conflict between the Vulcan philosophy or Vulcan ideology and human ideology because you could almost have seen a scene where Topal is saying, we can't help these people because we're going to get drawn into a conflict that we have no right or we can't get into right now. Obviously, I think that was a bit mitigated by the story in terms of they didn't know that they were protectorates of the Klingon Empire until they were brought aboard the NX-01. But this could have been an, an episode where you really f- um, showcase that conflict between T'Pol and Archer saying, Archer, we need to help. You know, Archer saying, we need to help these people. And T'Pol is saying, we can't, we can't help them because there are greater repercussions to that action. I think the episode sidetracked that. I think it did it well. I think... Uh, it was important to kind of focus on a different part of the story. But this is also an episode which could have also been a very strong showcase of saying, you know, human, the human um, urge to, to help and to always intervene in this case may have grave repercussions. And if you're going to insist on acting on that urge and inclination, then you at least better be prepared to face the, the consequences of that. Yeah, I think that would have been a nice scene. I mean, I agree with what you're saying there because they had to move along the story, but it would have been a nice scene where, you know, T'Pol's like, you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't in our purview. You know, we, we can't, we can't interfere or this is going to happen. And Archie's like, you know what, this is why we're out here and we're going to have to make the best choice possible in my opinion. But again, that best choice is 
uh, human centric because it's a, it's based on his his personal morality of right and wrong, not necessarily Starfleet's or not necessarily the Vulcan High Commands, his personal one, and that's the filter that I think obviously guides him throughout the course of of the first two seasons that we're talking about, but I don't think that he's always as confident with this with his own personal barometer he's not always as sure and i think the episode that i know tommy really wants to talk about puts archer in the path of uncertainty and that episode is the very last episode of season two episode 26 the expanse and just to just to shortly summarize the episode the earth is attacked at this time at the beginning of the episode from an unknown species and the enterprise is recalled and the mission is put at risk because we don't know where we need this crew to be at the forefront of what is possibly a greater threat to all of humanity so tommy i really want you to to take this one by the by the horns and let us know why you really liked wanting to discuss this particular episode well, I think it kind of puts a nice capstone on the things that we've talked about with Archer and his eagerness to get out there and to prove people wrong and his greenness that we saw at the beginning of season one and how over the course of the last few seasons he started to realize that it isn't all sugar and rainbows. And this is the point where it really hits him, I think, that there are real, real dangers out there. And based on things that they maybe do or don't do, it's not just the lives of his crew. And he even says this later on towards the end, but it's the weight of the world on his shoulders. They now have to start thinking at a much larger scale of how do these actions, how do the things that we do in space affect not only us, but the greater human population. And this, you can see from the very first time uh, Archer comes in in this episode how much this all bothers him. With when, uh, when he announces to everyone that there may be a million casualties, the first number, and how upsetting this is to him and to everybody else. And it really kind of shakes them all out of their confidence and gets them to rethink everything that they've come to know about themselves in space travel. And it's kind of what sets them and Archer on the path from idealism to what choices do we actually make. And there's a lot of questions that this can be analogous to in our own society. We think about things like, uh, for instance, torture. We say it's always wrong to torture, but what if there's a ticking bomb? That kind of thing. And, you know, we can say that war is is not good and we should avoid it at all costs, but what about if our liberties are threatened? Do we then go to war? And this episode really challenges Archer on all of those points. It challenges him on every single thing he believes, and he has to start making decisions that are going to go against the things he believes not only in this episode, but especially in the episodes that follow it, which this sets up. So I think it really is the nice capstone from where he started in the first episode and his journey since. 
Now, Will, uh, before we started recording, we discussed a little bit about this episode, and you really liked a specific scene between Trip and Archer and how you felt that it started to, or it will start to shade uh, Archer's character a little darker and is a little bit more of a a foreshadowing for season three. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you felt about that scene. Yeah, I I think that's the scene that uh, Tommy was alluding to when Archer was saying, you know, the whole weight, the, the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And, you know, that scene really just puts it all together into perspective you know before you know every episode that we talked about before this it was you know archer putting aside his pride archer putting aside his own personal perspective archer putting aside his human biases and now he's realizing at this point i think he's comfortable being the captain and being responsible for 83 people aboard his ship but now he is responsible for earth and in a way this is foreshadowing both what's going to happen in season three with the Zindi, but also I think it also foreshadows in a way the coalition of planets and it foreshadows the United Federation of planets because when you start thinking about perspectives, global perspectives, you need to you know think about yourself, your family, your ship, your crew, your planet, and then you start to realize are there any other bigger stakes beyond caring about my planet? And I think for me, I extrapolated from this episode, is there ever going to be a situation where Archer is going to have to put his his devotion or his his desire to do anything for humanity? Is that ever going to come into conflict with anything else? Is, is his devotion to humanity the, quote-unquote, the highest calling? And I think the whole premise of Star Trek is, and the premise of the Federation is, you know, 150 planets, we're a pluralistic democracy, I think it's an interesting question to say, is is loyalty to your species, loyalty to your race, your home planet, the highest loyalty? And when you think about it, the Federation itself is a, a coalition of multiple planets. So will there ever be a situation where a Starfleet officer is going to have to put his loyalty to his planet against um, the, his loyalty to the collective group, the collective group of planets or the, or his, uh, the common good, right? And I think... You start to see that even beyond season three, season four, it's looking beyond the prejudices of the Tellarites or the Andorians. It's like, how can we work together, right? It's not just the common good of humanity. The common good of humanity overlaps the Andorians, it overlaps the Vulcans, it overlaps the Tellarites. But I think beginning with this episode, you start to see Archer's perspective, you know, it's growing. It's, it's not just exploring space. It's not just about being the first Warp 5 ship. It's also being about... I am now a member of this galactic community and this and there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of dangerous stuff out here and what if my actions aren't just about my ship anymore or just about whether I'm the first out here? What if my actions mean my planet's exterminated or means I have to do some terrible things to another species in defense of my species? Am I prepared to to take that step? And I think it's just it's the beginning of Archer realizing, man, humanity is just one small bit of a, of a much larger, much more complicated and chaotic universe. And I think it's 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 a question that has no easy answer. Which, if he listened to Carl Sagan, he would know anyway. Uh, when when you think about, I mean, this it's something that's really, um, 
I think it's a very pertinent message that we 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 live on a speck of dust um, suspended in a sunbeam that like we are just so small and insignificant in the grand scheme and what we, where do we draw um, our meaning and what is the most important thing and at least in this case I don't think it's as much of a worry for Archer because there really is no federation at this point um, and though I think there is a very large question of if the Zindi succeed in wiping out Earth well then who are they going to wipe out next and there is that to think about what I love about this episode is that what it, it sets up nicely, obviously season three, the entire Zindi arc, which is something that we're going to delve into a little bit later in the next episode. But it also, for me, it started to inform me as a viewer that Archer is starting to think in a greater perspective. And you're right, Will. I like some of the, the points that you touched on where it's not just about the day-to-day operations of his ship or the day-to-day operations of how to succeed in the mission, or you know the diplomatic relations of the species that I just didn't quite get right, or how am I going to explain this to Forrest in a captain's log? The stakes are higher. He is finally starting to realize that this ship and the crew are responsible for a far greater mission than just exploring space. It's about how humanity is perceived on a on a this entire different stage when it comes to being able to create this foundation for the federation because in humanity's best interests archer has to reevaluate himself in the situation against the zindi and say you know what this is my new mission it's not about exploration it's about the safety of humanity. And in doing so, I think that starts tempering his thought processes a little bit so that he actually can have those really meaningful, insightful conversations with the Tellarites and the Endorians later on and say, hey, you know what? I understand that if we all pull our collective resources together, we're not only going to benefit each other from a species standpoint, but we'll be able to collectively protect each other from all of these other you know, these, these forces that are just beyond our control. Because what happened to Earth from the Zindi can happen to any planet. And why not put our differences aside? Why not start this, you know, this, this process of being able to protect each other at different parts of the universe, you know, where your corner in Andoria or your corner in Vulcan or Teller Prime these are all places where we can all prosper and all grow and all evolve and all share in the wealth of our collective governments if we can help defend ourselves as well and then increase that sphere of influence. That's what I love about seeing how it all starts from this one particular attack in, a, in some strange way. And I know that the temporal Cold War was probably not written for this reason, but in some small way, this, that attack on Earth actually helps precipitate Archer moving towards him being the diplomat for the Federation because he needs it's 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 strength in numbers you know it's being able to bring all of your allies together in order for to share that common good to share all of that all of the benefits and all the rewards of having this 
this force, this unifying force that can, again, protect its citizens and to share in commerce and the benefits of government. So I don't know. I, that's that's the way I saw it. Did you, did you guys do you guys see it that way at all? Or or is it am I on a small island here? <laughs> You're definitely the only one on your island. Thank you. No, Thank you very no, much. I, I kid. Uh, no, I agree. I think the importance of these events in shaping Archer into being a diplomat cannot be understated. Uh, or they cannot be overstated enough is what I'm looking to say. And uh, I think for when the for what's coming ahead or what have come ahead with the Romulan War, this is very important for shaping Archer and how to build alliances and especially in as we continue into season three, uh, when he even starts to build alliances with Degra. And it's even though this wasn't originally part of the timeline, um, I think it actually became very useful for Archer and becoming that diplomat that we talked about, like you said. I think it's very interesting. I, I agree with you, uh, Norman and Tommy, too. I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's interesting. The Zindi are very much in a way kind of like the anti-Federation because they are just a collection of these races that are bickering with each other. They're, they're, they're brought together. But so they're a coalition of different species, the aquatics, the reptilians, the primates. They're kind of working towards the same goal, but they're kind of being manipulated by this outside force. But in a way, they're kind of, you know, a proto anti-federation where, you know, they're a federation that's brought together by very different circumstances than what the federation will be. But in a lot of ways, they're coming together for a collective good. There's almost like a, a mirror version of them almost like a different interpretation of what you know the federation or what the coalition could be and i think in a lot of ways you know i don't want to get into uh, too much of a tangent regarding that i think we'll cover it in later episodes but i think the fact that at the end of uh, of the season that archer realizes that there's actually a, a fragmentation of of belief that you know the zindi aren't this monolithic consensus right there's actually some people that he could work with they think in that they understand that they're actually being manipulated, that they're actually, it's not an issue of convince, or not an issue of neutralizing the threat or destroying them, but he, he has to convince them that they're not a threat. I think that's what makes it that Star Trek element of we're, we're not your enemy, although we're on a collision course and we've been on this collision course, we can still stop this. And I think he realizes that by the end of, of season three, obviously, going into season four, he realizes that you know, it's no longer about him. It's no longer about being the first Warp 5 ship, being the best captain out there. It's not about him anymore. It's about humanity. And he's just, and him and his crew, by extension, they're just the representatives of humanity because they can be out there. You know, in the future, there's going to be more captains, more spaceships out there. But for now, he's the only one out there just by virtue of circumstance. But because he's out there, he's going to be the, the, the focal point for humanity and as such, he's going to have to put aside his pride, put aside all that personal, small stuff regarding his ship or his crew, and realize that the stakes are always going to be higher. The stakes will never, ever grow smaller the further and further you go out to space. And I think that's the evolution of Archer, because at some point he's going to be president, right? He's going to be admiral, and he's going to be president of the Federation, and at some point he realizes the scope will never, ever get smaller. You'll never, ever put this back in the, in the box ever again, right? 
the perspective will always, always be bigger. Well, actually, I was going to start uh, thinking about the final thoughts here, but and I th- Will, you summed it up really nicely. I think that um, that that this course of uh, the course that Archer has taken uh, towards the end of season two and throughout season three, and informs him about you know becoming this great leader that we will eventually see. Uh, we have seen in season four, and then we will eventually see ten years later, as as alluded to on the very final episode. But um, I think that the four episodes that we we covered were a really nice snapshot of different facets of him where it really focused on his decision-making process and how it would inform him to become a, a leader, I mean, a greater leader than we already than, uh, we already know of him. So uh, any, any final things to say about this? Because next episode, our part two, we're really going to probably delve into darker aspects of Archer, probably the the part of his captaincy and his personality that some of the fans out there didn't really gel with because he's so far off of the track of what people would or have perceived of of a start of the mold of a Starfleet captain. So um, what do you guys I mean, just to sum up your final thoughts, uh, I think that these four episodes were great. Um, and uh, what do you think? I think that it's been a long road getting from here to there. Nice. And uh, thank you. And that that that's about it. I mean, I I think I've said pretty much my thoughts so far. Will? Yeah. I mean, there's not much for me to add to. Um, but basically, I think the, the, a lot of what people say Archer's weaknesses are are obviously his strength as a character. So, as with how I view about the how I view the show Enterprise I think a lot of it has to do with my perspective obviously when I first watched it wasn't that big of a fan now with time and space and different perspective I enjoy it more I think in the same way with Archer I think if, if you view Archer in a certain way and you compare him to other captains clearly there's going to be some differences clearly there's going to be some some weaknesses by comparison but if you view it through the context of him evolving I think there's a very strong case to be made that Archer does have a surprising amount of growth and in re- in reality he has far less time to do it on screen compared to Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Kirk too if you include the movies. So I think what they did with the character if you view it the right perspective, I think he deserves more credit than he's given. The last thing I'd like to touch on in final thoughts is just to to deviate a little bit from Archer the character to Scott Bakula the actor. And I know that a lot of fans out there sometimes uh, don't they're not on board with kind of like his portrayal of Archer. They they think that Scott Bakula comes off a little thin, a little on the whiny side, a little on the uh, entitled side. But I think that's actually a credit to how how his interpretation of Archer was when he was reading the scripts. Because it's true, Archer, he had to start somewhere. You know, he wasn't comfortable in the chair. He probably knew that he wasn't making the best decision at the time. And I think Scott Bakula had to wrestle with some of the scripts that he had because he was like, you know what? I think I need to portray him in a certain way so that he doesn't look like that. He's this experienced, polished, you know, well-rounded, um, well-informed captain that we're all used to seeing. His guy, his, he, this guy is not perfect. Far from it. And if you watch NCIS New Orleans, I just want to say and agree with that because he is totally different on that show. He, there's a, a level of experience he brings to that that character, Detective Pride in NCIS New Orleans, that 
Captain Archer didn't have. And so I think that's just a testament to his, uh, to how good of an actor he is, just to agree with what you're saying. I mean, I've, I've loved him all the way back to Quantum Leap. And, and you know, he, he just has this ability to bring a certain, uh, certain strength and nuance to the character where I think that fans were expecting uh, this really statuesque type captain and he really wasn't it. He is just, he's a very honest, uh, very flawed, uh, but um, evolving in our eyes. And I'm not sure if that's what the audiences wanted at the time because they dealt with such great, polished and and, and well-disciplined and well-honed captains throughout the course of, I don't know, let's do the math. You know, you had three seasons of TOS and then seven Next Generation, that's 10, and then seven of Deep Space Nine, that's 17, and then seven of Voyager, and that's 24. 24 seasons of what we were supposed to believe a captain is like to lead the Federation. And this is not that guy. You know, I, I just want to be very clear about it, that when we're deconstructing Archer, we're trying to come from this vantage point that this is not that captain. He doesn't have any of the knowledge or experience or was not afforded any of the opportunities to read, like you said, Tommy, earlier on, to read any captain's logs to figure out what he's supposed to do. And we see that all the time in future series. We're like, well, what did so-and-so do? You know, what did Kirk do? Riker said that, you know, and uh, they just had that ability to be able to to inform themselves and, and, and delve into the wealth of the captain's logs uh, to get information. So... And we saw that in These Are the Voyages. That's the entirety of that episode is what Riker was doing. He was trying to figure out how to do something by studying the logs of the very first captain. Archer had no such resource. So we'll save that, though, for another episode. So thanks, everyone, for uh, coming by. Thanks, Will, and thanks, Tommy. Um, Let our listeners... uh, know how they can best get in touch with you. So, Will, um, how can our listeners find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me in the Babel Conference, which is uh, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook group. I'm pretty active there, so you can always find me there. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, at, uh, at Will underscore Win, uh, spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. And you can also find me on Facebook, too. So any of those means, I'm always available. Um, I'm also the content coordinator for the network, so I think we're starting to really dig into some potential topics for all the shows going forward and kind of what we want to do in terms of of, of future shows and maybe bringing in different show perspectives, uh, cross-show themes and other fun stuff. So if you have any ideas on what you guys want to hear, uh, just drop drop me a line. Awesome, Will. And uh, Tommy? You go ahead and let us know all your contact information for Horizons so the listeners can take a peek at what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, you can find me at facebook.com slash sthorizon. That's the page for the movie, and it's where I mainly post. Or on my Twitter, which I don't use as often, and that Twitter handle is Tommy G Dog, G-D-A-W-G. Perfect. Thanks, Tommy. Before I close out, I just wanted to bring up Hoshi Station and see what's going on in Hoshi's neck of the woods. And I'd like to, to shout out and give a special thanks to Greg Malumbi from the Babel Conference because he messaged me um, weeks ago um, and he actually gave me the idea of taking a look at Archer from this perspective that we've done on this show and more from a fall from grace type of perspective. And he originally cited Damage from season three, which we definitely will cover because that is a pivotal role probably in the history of Archer and 
in the Enterprise series. So, I mean, that is a very deep, deep um, and complex episode to discuss. So thanks, Greg. Uh, Greg is an active member on the Babel Conference, and uh, we love his passion and his enthusiasm for discussing all things Enterprise on Trek FM. So in closing, it's been, it's been a great time talking about Jonathan Archer and, and getting into his head and studying kind of like the ins and outs of what makes a captain like this tick from the very beginning. This isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. Here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's, it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so it birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see then... ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because... The Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action-adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie, is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats in our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find us all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And I just want to say a special thank you to our new associate producer for Warp 5, Floyd Dorsey, and thanks to all of his support of the network here on Warp 5 and on the Babel Conference. If you would like to get in touch with Trek FM across subspace and the interwebs, you can find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. 
Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Warp 5 and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the network. And also, don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project for the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise Orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can help make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and to get your seat on the mission. Now, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference, our dedicated Facebook listeners page, or on Twitter at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I am also a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project, and you can find me on the dedicated Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And lastly, I'm a proud supporter of Trek FM through Patreon, and I am an associate producer of four shows here on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.